Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. All right, so we're talking about Gary Chapman, the five love languages, and date night, and it's February, and everything is covered in pink and red. It's love month, y'all, if you did not know it. Men, T-minus nine days, ten days? Was it say the fifth? Nine. I had it right first. T-minus nine days till Valentine's Day. Don't jack it up, boys, all right? So we are in love month. And uh, we're starting a series uh, called Love Means, but don't worry, it's not only about romantic stuff, especially if you're single, you want to be in a relationship, or used to be in a relationship, this is going to apply to everybody over the next couple weeks. It's totally appropriate to talk about it now. Our culture has already moved on to this. Is anybody else annoyed that like the second day after Christmas, you walk into Publix and it's Valentine's Day already? I'm like, it's not even January, can you give us a minute for crying out loud? So uh, everything else has already turned for this, and you know it's appropriate for us to talk about it. Total side note, it makes me think about Publix and chocolate and all this other stuff. Christmas M&Ms are still the best tasting M&Ms, and Valentine's Day M&Ms are a good second behind that. Is anybody with me? Everyone is like, you eat too much chocolate. Cool, all right. So uh, we're in this series called Love Means, and here's what we're going to do. I'm going to start today by just going straight to the passage of Scripture that we're going to talk about. Now, the passage that I want to read to you is uh, one of the most read passages in all of the Bible. In fact, there's a high likelihood almost all of you have already heard this passage before in your life, um, especially if you're not necessarily a church person, um, maybe you're new to Christianity, maybe it's the first time in a long time you've been to church. You've probably heard this passage somewhere. In fact, I believe that this is the most often requested passage to be read at weddings. Now, here's the key, though. This is not a wedding passage. Is it still appropriate that it's read at weddings? Of course, absolutely. But it's not exclusive to weddings. It's not exclusive to marriage. It's not exclusive to romantic relationships. It's one of the best comprehensive descriptions of love in the entire Bible, and it's for all of us today. So um, if you have your Bible or your COH app, you go ahead and open it up now. We're going to look at uh, a famous chapter of scripture from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So something that we've been doing as a church is we've stood in honor for the reading of God's word. So if you're able, would you please stand? Excuse me. And again, this is from 1 Corinthians 13. Chapter 13, we're going to read the last half of the first verse above that because it all kind of goes together just with the split for how uh, they numbered it later on in church history. So starting with chapter 12, verse 31, the second half, and then we'll go into 13. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in a city called Corinth, and he said these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And yet I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in tongues of men or of angels, but I don't have love, I'm only a resounding gong or I'm a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, 
I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. And when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So Lord, God of glory, Lord of love, we ask that you would speak to our hearts and teach us about this love that we read today. Teach us so that we would learn it and pour out the Holy Spirit, the living flame of love, so that we would experience it today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated. So what is love? What is love and what does it mean? Now, it seems like a no-brainer, duh, question for some of you who are like, Duh, we know what love means. Well, it's not as easy as you may think. Uh, English does us no favors with helping understand love better. I said this at the first service, and I'll say it again. My wife, Leah, was the host here earlier, especially if you're on life, you didn't see her at the beginning of service. You clicked in later. My wife, Leah, hosted today. And uh, I say, I love my wife, Leah. And I love pizza. And I love Tom Brady. (laughs) And those are all three very different things, right? What is love? Our language doesn't really help us at all. English has some deficiencies here. We have some cultural problems with love. It's one thing in America where love has totally been commercialized into Valentine's M&M's and all the chocolate and all the flowers and all the restaurants and all the tips and all the stuff that we're going to do this next 10 days. It's been commercialized. Our culture also has an insidious way of, of misunderstanding love where at one point somebody could say, I love my boyfriend or girlfriend and I love chocolate cake. And what they mean by that is I love chocolate cake because I want to consume it. Well, if you've been swimming in the waters of our culture enough, you understand oftentimes when people say love, they just mean what do they want to consume, even if it's another person. Which, by the way, 
Guys, especially young men here today, I want to speak to you as one of you. I could still call myself young and turn 40 this year, so I'm technically young-ish, okay? I'm young-ish. The world will tell you you're a man based on what you consume, that you're a man on how many wings you can eat, how much beer you can drink, how much TV you can watch, and how many women you can consume. And that is not love, and that's not what manhood is. Amen? So love is not those things either. We need some help. It's been hijacked. We need to reclaim it. Not just culturally for the sake of Western civilization, for the sake of our nation, but as followers of Jesus, guys, we, even in the house that is called by the name of Jesus and by the people who follow him and are doing our dead level best to get it right with him, we can misplace the value of love even in our communities. This is what the passage we're talking about today was trying to address. We'll get to that in just a minute. So what is love? What is love? Well, when we were a teaching team this week, we decided to have a little bit of fun. You know, Dale was not there on Tuesday when we met and when the cat's away, you know, the mice will play. And so we decided, you know what we could do? We could ask G- chat GPT what love is. Does anybody know what chat GPT is? Okay, all the nerds in the room just raised their hands. My people, great. Okay, we're together. Awesome. Chat GPT, get ready to be completely freaked out. Okay? Chat GPT is an artificial intelligence chat app, which it studied linguistics, language, literature, and it can have a real conversation with you. For instance, to freak out a friend of mine, I showed him what this artificial intelligence chat app can do, and I said, all right, chat GPT, write a song about my friend named Sean. Make it a country song about how he likes to fish, he likes to listen to music, and do it in four stanzas. Go. It did it in three seconds. And it's a good song. (laughs) Creepy. Chat GPT, the past couple weeks, just passed the bar exam. It just passed medical school. Has anybody freaked out yet? Which, by the way, just total side note here, I don't understand how none of the nerds who were able to code this and develop artificial intelligence, how come none of these nerds ever saw a Terminator movie ever? Do they not know how the story ends, Right. My own, the only um, consolation that I have in any of this is that we're in Loxahatchee, and if the robots come for us, good luck. That's all I have to say. <laughs> Yeehaw, don't tread on me. Okay. That's the only consolation I have. Anyway, I digress. So we asked artificial intelligence. No, go back. I ain't done. Go back. I ain't done with creeping everybody out yet. We asked artificial intelligence just for fun. What is love? This is what artificial intelligence decided to tell your preachers. Love is an intense feeling of affection. Uh Uh-oh, we already have a problem there. Anybody ever have your love go missing on you all of a sudden? Does that mean you get to give up on love? Love is an intense feeling of affection and care towards someone or something. It can refer to romantic love between partners, the love between family members, or even love for objects, ideas, or activities. Love is often described as a mixture of emotions, behaviors, and beliefs associated with strong feelings of affection, protectiveness, warmth, and respect for another person. All right. 
All right, how about this, AI? You ready for this? What is the difference between loving my spouse and loving a burrito? We're really smart in teaching team, okay? You know what artificial intelligence told us? What's the difference between loving your spouse and loving a burrito? Loving your spouse and loving a burrito uh, are two different types of love. Loving your spouse is a form of romantic love and is characterized by strong feelings of affection, commitment, and attachment. Okay? Loving a burrito, on the other hand, is a form of object love and is characterized by strong attachment and affection towards a particular object such as food. So the only difference is, is one a person and one an object? Did you hear that? Thank God artificial intelligence hasn't figured out love yet. Okay? So we clearly have a problem. English confuses it, and English just doesn't suffice. It uh, understates love. Culture has hijacked love. And in the church, we can misplace love. So what is love? What is love? So the passage we just read comes from 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is a book in the New Testament. Like I said, it's written by the Apostle Paul. He wrote it to a bunch of Christians in a city called Corinth. The first time I ever read 1 Corinthians for myself, like I think most people in church, you buy a little devotional books or you have a little, couple little verses that you read at a time and then what else somebody else thinks about it. There's nothing wrong with that. Don't hear me. I'm not condemning that by any stretch of the imagination. But when I was in college, somebody told me, hey, over the next six weeks, if you read this many chapters a day, you could read the whole New Testament. Like I've never done that before. And I gave it a shot, and it was world-changing for me. I'd never read books of the Bible from start to finish. When you read the Bible, you don't need to start in Genesis 1-1 and work all the way through. Um, You're going to end up halfway through Leviticus and quitting for a minute. (laughs) You could pick different books of the Bible to read as a whole. And when I read 1 Corinthians as a whole, oh my goodness, the context made all sorts of sense. Guys, The Corinthian Christians in the city of Corinth, it was church gone wild. It was crazy sexual scandals. There was divisions. There was theological misunderstanding. It was a gigantic mess. If there was a picture of what the letter to 1 Corinthians looks like, it should be the Apostle Paul with a mop trying to clean up the mess of that church, which makes me feel better. If they were messes back then, it makes sense for now. Okay, amen. Anyway, and so he's trying to dress the mess. And when you read 1 Corinthians 13 at a wedding, it sounds like a beautiful wedding passage. Love is patient. Love is kind. But if you read 1 Corinthians 13 after you've read 12, and when you read 14 in context and how Paul sandwiched that in between this rebuke to the people, you know how love is patient, love is kind sounded? It didn't sound like that's so beautiful. It sounded like everybody in church getting ready to hear from Paul And all of a sudden, with all their divisions and all their selfishness and all their drama that they were creating where they weren't acting like Jesus at all, and all of a sudden he goes, love is patient. Oh, love is kind. Oh, it doesn't envy. Oh, boy. It doesn't boast. Oh, that one was for me. It's the most loving rebuke in the Bible. Context is king. It's not about romance. It's about love in general and relationships. 
And what 1 Corinthians 13 teaches followers of Jesus is that love is the deep end of the pool of Christianity. It's not, if you read at the beginning, like, what does it mean by tongues of men and of angels and prophecy and mountains and, you know, giving alms to the poor? What, doesn't, what is all that? Christians will jack this up. Culture will mess it up and will mess it up. We'll think the deep end of the pool of Christianity is miracles. And I, the way I pray moves mountains. Or they think it's what's maybe some call the charismatic gifts. Or if maybe you're on the progressive side theologically, go, it's not any of those things. It's social justice and caring for the poor. That's the deep end of the pool of Christianity. And the Apostle Paul is saying, all that, no. The deep end of the pool of Christianity is love. And it's so easy to miss that. In fact, this idea of love in 1 Corinthians 13 In the 13 verses in chapter 13, love is named or referenced 21 times. It's jam-packed in there. It's an unbelievable portrait. And one word is used for love in Greek. Now, but in Greek, there's four different words for love, and it helps us understand how they thought about it and gives us categories. So here's some the four words for love that was really first uh, written about so eloquently by the great C.S. Lewis. And so the first type of love is eros. And this is romantic type of love that God designed to be expressed sexually between a husband and a wife. And eros, this is where we get our word erotic from. Now don't confuse this. Eros is lust. And lust is love. Lust is not love. Don't buy that lie from the world and from pornography either. That ain't love. That's lust and that's darkness. God's type of love, eros, is better than lust. Amen? Amen. Amen. Eros, there's a romantic love. Then there's storge, which is parental or affectionate love. This is the type of love that you have for something that you're giving your life to, something that you're raising, like children. It can be not necessarily your children. You have storge for other things or people, but it's parental or affectionate love. Before I became a dad, my favorite smells in the whole world was a really great coffee shop, you know, when you walk in and you just smell the aroma. I loved hazelnut candles, and I loved the smell of a filet mignon on a grill. <laughs> Come on. Let's go. Mm. Loved it. Um, now that I'm a dad, you know what my favorite smell is? It's the tops of my kids' heads. Now, they're not teenagers yet. I know. I know, but when I come home and daddy, and they run, and all of them, from my 10-year-old to my 1-year-old, I know how each of them smell. I hug them, and I smell the top of their head. And what I feel in that moment is storge. It's affectionate love. This is what you might feel if you have a pet or a dog. or oh, It's affectionate love. It's storge. There's eros storge, and then there's phileo which is brotherly love. Phileo is the Greek word where we named the city Philadelphia, which for me is totally ironic that they named Philly the city of brotherly love. Are you kidding me? I know one loving Eagles fan in the entire world, and it's Andy Kamizzi, and then everybody else is just out. Did Any Eagles fans here today that I need to buy coffee for? I'm sorry, I love you anyway. Okay, you guys can have a great Super Bowl. So anyway, but this is brotherly Love, and this is a type of love between friends. It doesn't have to be men necessarily, brotherly. It could be women. 
but for instance, like here's a picture of my three lifelong best friends. That's Brett and Jeff. We grew up together. We became friends in middle school, and God called all three of us to be pastors. And we're friends to this day, and God can't break that bond. And what's ironic is uh, Brett is a pastor um, out in Missouri, and we've been talking about our church, about our future, and how we're developing a new future church network by chance. He does what I do at a church out in Missouri. They're in the network we're going to be in moving forward. How does God do that? Like, you two guys in middle school, yeah, I'll make sure you're connected later on in life with this thing. Like, crazy. God's in this. Phileo. These are my brothers. Phileo. Now, there's one more type of love that is in Greek that scripture uses. In fact, this is the word that's in 1 Corinthians and it's referenced to 21 times and it's agape. Everyone say agape. Agape. This is the highest level of love in all of scripture. If you look it up in an ancient Koine Greek dictionary, some definitions are kind of helpful. It's better if you get it in type of a context. Uh, one of my favorite definitions I've run into of what is agape love recently came from uh, author John Mark Comer, who we really love here at our church. And he defines it like this. Agape is a compassionate commitment to delight in the soul of another and to will that person's good ahead of your own no matter the cost to yourself. Agape love is the type of love that's willing to lose so that someone else can win. That's the type of love that Scripture is talking about. And it's best exemplified in God. Agape love is sacrificial love, unconditional love, the type of love that says, I'll lose so that you can win. Jesus said this, no greater love could someone have other than this that they lay down their life for their friends. Agape. Now, if you go back to 1 Corinthians, it never defines love. It describes love perfectly. It's the most beautiful portrait of love in all of Scripture. But what we're going to do is we're going to pull in another passage of Scripture to help us define love so we could clearly understand the description of love in 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to go back and forth between two. So here's what I want you to do. If you're taking notes, write this down. What is agape? Love, well, agape, first off, is who God is. This is who God is. We're going to pull in 1 John chapter 4 to help contrast this with 1 Corinthians 13. John was written by John, the, the beloved disciple, Jesus' best friend on earth. Legend has it that when he was an old, old man, he couldn't walk anymore. He was carried around on a cot from church to church to church in the ancient world. And John, the beloved, one of the 12, had one message for everywhere he went, where he was put in front of a group of the ancient first followers of Jesus. And he would sit up as an old, old man and say, love one another. Talk about moral authority. John said this, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Agape. This is who God is. I used to like 
social media and the internet before the internet went super duper crazy, like when Facebook was mostly click here on this link and take the survey and find out which Disney character you are. That's, I, I miss when Facebook was like that, don't you? Before everything was yelling and screaming at each other. And before we all found out, I'm going to click on this thing to find out which Disney character I am. And surprise, it's Russia. We're going to destroy America. Ah, you know. <coughs> I'm okay. The Russian joke threw me over the edge. Anyway. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, and I used, to, I used to love those personality tests. By the way, I'm Winnie the Pooh. So anyway. <laughs> um, I used to love those personality tests that people took online just for fun. If God took a personality test, you know what it would be? Outrageous, break the internet, incomprehensible, profound, reckless love. That's what it would be. Blow your mind, love. Now, the beauty of this is if agape is who God is, this isn't just meant to be intellectually understood in a vacuum. Oh, good. Yes or no, is God love? Yes, got it, great. This is meant to not just be intellectually known, it's meant to make the 18-inch journey from your head down into your heart, and it's meant to be experientially known in relationship with him. It's not meant to be just believe. It's meant to be experienced. Scripture says, taste and see that the Lord is good. So agape isn't just who God is. Agape is how God loves you. You. 1 Corinthians 4. Oh, excuse me, um, 1 John 4. I'm throwing them in a dizzy in the back. 1 John 4, 9 through 10. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God. If you're coming back to church or back to Christianity or it's the first time in a long time, you need to know Christianity is not try hard and love God first and to get God to like you. That's not it. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us first and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our Sins. Christianity is Jesus dying for you. Agape, I'm willing to lose my even my life so that you would win. Anybody go to the fair this year? Uh, we love getting to go to fair. We try to go every year. And a couple years ago, they had a superhero theme. And uh, they had these portraits where you, you, know, where you cut out the face, you could stand in the portrait. It made me think of this here. So there's Batman and Superman. There's little Cade making his tough guy face. It's probably three or four years ago. And uh, I was thinking about the passage this week, and it made me think of these standard portraits. 1 Corinthians 13 is like a standard portrait. If you cut out the word love... It helps give you an exact portrait of who God is. And you just put the face of Jesus in there instead for how God loves you. So check this out. First Corinthians 13. Instead of love is Jesus. Jesus is patient. He's never going to lose his cool with you. 
Jesus is kind. (laughs) I could go on and on and on. He's the kindest person I've ever met in my entire life. Jesus does not envy. He doesn't boast. Jesus is not proud. Jesus does not dishonor others. He's never going to call you a name. I feel like there might be some of you here, some of you online, where you got called names growing up in your home. Jesus will never do that to you. Jesus is not self-seeking. Jesus is not easily angered. Oh, keep going. Jesus keeps no record of wrongs. Is anybody glad that Jesus has burned your record? Jesus doesn't delight in evil, but he rejoices with the truth. Jesus always protects, always trusts. Jesus always hopes. Jesus always perseveres. He's never, ever, ever going to give up on you. And Jesus never fails. Agape is how God loves you. For Christmas, I bought Leah tickets to go see one of our favorite stand-up comedians. And we're going to go in a little bit to go see him. And he's filming a new special, and it's going to be a lot of fun. But wouldn't it be totally weird if I took her to go see this show? And we left after the opening comedians and the first half to warm up the crowd, and we left before the main guy got on the stage. Wouldn't that be dumb? Wouldn't it be dumb if somebody gave us tickets to the Super Bowl? And after the first half, even before whatever halftime show it is, we left. Like before Dr. Dre and Snoop came out like they did last year, we just left even though the game was tied. Wouldn't that be weird? We're just going to beat traffic. We're going to leave. It's halftime. The second half is the best half. What are you doing? The first half of Christianity is agape is who God is, and agape is how God loves you. That's the first half only of Christianity. There's more. The second half of Christianity starts like this. It's not only experientially knowing the crazy, intoxicating love of God in Jesus Christ that heals every wound in my heart and turns my life upside down. I've given my life to helping people experience the love of Jesus. That's why you guys hear me talk about prayer so much. I don't talk about prayer so much because I like prayer. I talk about prayer a lot because in prayer, people experience the love of Jesus. I'm hooked on Jesus, not on prayer. I'll do whatever it takes to get Jesus. If I got to pray to get Jesus, I'm going to pray. The second half of Christianity is even better because it's not just agape is how God loves you. Agape is evidence of Christ in you. Jesus will not only let you drink from the fountain of his love, he's going to change your life. He's going to transform you. Nobody came here to do church, to have the feels and go on and live unchanged. He's come here to totally transform you from the inside out for better. First, First John 4, he keeps going. He says here, dear friends, since God so loved us, that's the first half, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. If you invite the spirit of Jesus to live on the inside of you, 
he ends up rubbing off on you. And you end up acting like him and thinking like him and talking like him. Christianity is not an exercise in how to try harder to love people. Anybody here tried the religion of try harder? That was, I said that redundantly. Has anybody ever tried? No, 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 you get what I'm saying. <laughs> Trying harder equals bad, right? Okay. Religion that just says try harder doesn't work. You end up burnt out on religion when you do that. But with Jesus, when he lives on the inside of you, and he comes out of you, changes it. So if you go back to 1 Corinthians 13, instead of Jesus' name there, guess what? You can put your name there. This is what love means. Josh is patient. Brenda is kind. Jeremy does not envy. Cassandra does not boast. Jackie is not proud. Sean does not dishonor others. Amy is not self-seeking. Jim is not easily angered. Andrew keeps no record of wrongs. Jessica does not delight in evil, but always rejoices with the truth. Cade always protects. Tessa always trusts. Susanna always hopes. Asa always perseveres. Leah never fails. Put your name in there. And by the way, this is, you did, I did not just give you the checklist of all things to try harder for all my type A people in the room who read that and go, I feel like a failure at almost all of them. If you feel that way, you miss the point of what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is, if you allow Jesus to live within you and to experience his love, not just in here, but let it drop into here, this is, go back and put up those scriptures with the blanks, please. This is Jesus' life plan for you. And he's not going to do it by your own strength. Agape is the evidence of Christ in you. And agape is empowered by God's spirit. Can we go ahead and put that up? It's not empowered by you. It's empowered by God. Last one, John 4. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. Here's what love means for today. Some of you came in here today or you clicked on the button to stream from your phone or your TV and you came in here with an empty cup. Some of you in here feel totally empty and you feel totally worn out by life. I feel like there's people here today where you've had broken relationships this past week and you've got nothing left on the inside of you. I feel like there are people here where you grew up in a broken home and that left you empty. And wherever else, whatever life does to us to make us empty, Jesus has come to fill your cup with his love and to satisfy you on the inside. And when he does that, he begins to change you from the inside out and people will see Jesus all around you. What does love mean? It means that first. Would you prepare your hearts to receive this benediction, this prayer? If you're somebody where you want to not just know the love of Jesus, 
but experience the affection of the heart of Christ for you personally. I'm going to pray this over you. Whether you're here in person or online, this is for you. And this is the Apostle Paul here in Ephesians 3. I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Lord, give power and grace to know love that surpasses knowledge so that we may be changed by it and transformed by it. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Friends, we have a team up here to pray for you if you need anything. Otherwise, go in God's peace. We'll see you next week.